First things first, Alabama rules of professional conduct, rule 7.2E, requires the following language in all attorney communications. No representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed is greater than the quality of legal services performed by other lawyers. I'm Harry Steele, Backwood Southern Lawyer. Mr. Paul Rip of the Rip Report is not with us today. He is out having shoulder surgery in an undisclosed location uh, for for his safety, of course, Reigns. Well, anybody slipping in there, uh, taking Rip out. And then, uh, of course, Reigns is on the phone with us from Houston, Texas. What's going on out there today, Reigns? Oh, nothing. It's a beautiful fall afternoon. It's about 80 degrees, and I'm loving it. All right. So, uh, Nick, give us some camera magic, man. You over there? So, uh, we, we've got a recap for you today. We're going to talk about uh, the mental health court proposed by uh, Representative Matt Simpson, sewer regulation, Hangout Festival 2020, and uh, Christmas Fest is right around the corner. That's uh, next weekend. We're going to be broadcasting live. So um, get back over here on me, and let's take it from the top. So first of all, we've got a video that we're going to watch, um, and I believe this is from – do we know what news station we need to give credit to? WPMI, I think it is. So uh, we're, we're going to run that real quick. It's a, it's a little recap to give you an idea – of, uh, of of what Mr. Simpson's peddling, and then uh, when we come back, we'll talk about it some. New tonight at 5, a new kind of court may be coming to Baldwin County. The goal is to reduce repeat offenders and repeat arrests and ultimately save taxpayers money. One Baldwin County lawmaker is working to make mental health court a reality. NBC 15's Andrea Ramey is live with what prompted this. Andrea? Well, Kim and Greg, jails aren't meant to be mental health hospitals, though many wardens will tell you that's what they've been forced to become. One lawmaker telling me today he wants to reverse that trend. Before Douglas Dunson was accused of attacking a woman near the RSA tower and trying to rape her, he was arrested in the months leading up for lower level offenses like public intoxication and disorderly conduct. Dunson, authorities say, had a history of substance abuse, mental health problems, and his behavior was escalating. We want to catch them before they commit those violent crimes. Representative Matt Simpson says creating what's called a mental health court would help. Only suspects charged with nonviolent crimes could be considered. Multiple parties, including the prosecutor and potentially the victim, would have to sign off. It's very similar to what they do currently for drug court and veterans court to make sure that the person can benefit from the program. To avoid jail time, the suspect completes the court-ordered treatment they need, which could include inpatient care at East Point Psychiatric Hospital in Daphne. Simpson is working right now on legislation that would fund mental health court for Baldwin County to start with in our area. An upfront cost, he says, well worth protecting potential victims of crime. They say uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and that's what this is. Uh, this kind of specialized court has been established in 10 other counties in Alabama. Coming up tonight at 6 o'clock, we'll let you know how it's going elsewhere. Andrea Ramey, NBC 15 News. All right, so we're back. Um, so in Baldwin County, Reigns, we have a drug court, and the purpose of the drug court is to divert nonviolent offenders from the jail if all they've done is sit in a room by themselves and harm themselves with chem themselves with chemicals. Um, 
I guess we don't see the point in taking up valuable prison space for violent offenders, these nonviolent offenders. So we have a, a special drug court here in Baldwin County, and it takes up about a day of one of our circuit judges' time. It's an all-day uh, program a couple of times a month. And, um, of course, it's a good program. And uh, I'm imagining that's what this mental health court is all about. It's going to be a way to divert people from the prison system if they're truly just mentally ill and nonviolent. But the problem is, uh, number one, how are you going to pay for it? Number two, how are you going to staff it? Do we have enough judges to handle adjudication of uh, and who knows how many prisoners there are over in the jail right now that really should be at a facility um chime in here reigns i mean it sounds like a good idea but well it's all about the details truly it is and I, I i support drug courts across the nation and um i've been involved as a advocate and uh believe it or not, even as a guardian ad litem for drug court here in the state of Texas. But uh, I, I believe in it. I think it's great. Um, but it is a massive undertaking, uh, the drug courts that I've dealt with. When you tell me that you've got a mental health court set up to run the same kind of way that drug court runs, my first question is, who is what kind of medical staff are you going to need to determine the mental health and eligibility of somebody for that. Because in drug court, you've got a small staff of people that just, you know, or you outsource it to a, a lab that does, you know, urine tests and hair tests and things like that. But it's very easy to determine if somebody needs to be in drug court or not. I can't imagine what the criteria would have to be and how stringent it would have to be to say someone's eligible for mental health court. And I've got a couple of problems with it. Believe it or not, from a legal point of view, uh, if you're determined to be mentally ill, there's something to do with your rights as to how you can even go through court. So are we setting up a giant uh, uh, mental evaluation as an extension of the state hospital? How do, what are they planning on doing with that? So it, all I can tell you is how Montgomery County's uh, – court works because I had a, a, a brief discussion with uh, Judge Anderson up there runs their mental health court and I spoke with a couple of his judicial assistants this morning and you know I, I don't think they were properly funded it's certainly not working the way that they want it to and um, you know I guess we would the Baldwin County would have to employ I guess through some kind of contract with a mental health professional who could be on call to come evaluate these people. Now, uh, I know that in probate court, it's not necessarily a psychiatrist that, that looks at these folks. I would imagine in circuit court, that would be uh, a requirement. Um, if I were the judge making de a determination that we're going to take somebody out of the criminal system and, and divert them over here. So let's talk about that real quick. The deplorable state of mental health generally in Baldwin County. We used to have an organization called Baldwin County Mental Health, and um, it became Alta Point Health Systems. Alta Point is, a, I believe it's a private not-for-profit, and all those employees went over there. Um, they are overwhelmed, and we're talking about taking people out of this system and diverting them into this taking them out of the criminal justice system and diverting them over here 
into a system that's already overwhelmed. And, I mean, yeah. if you're going to do it, that's fine, but you got to fund the you got to find the money to fund this thing. So, agreed. Yeah, it's it's got to go ahead. Go ahead. So 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 let's pivot um, from this point into another point, uh, which is um, mass shootings, mental health, the Second Amendment, and um, that's striking pretty close to home. Nick, do you have that uh, that graphic that shows just how close we are to NAS Pensacola? Got a forty-five minute drive from where I'm sitting right now. And there's some people down in Orange Beach that can be there in fifteen minutes at the front gates of NAS. So uh this is something that is happening to us, even though it's over in the state of Florida. And uh we we've got a little clip. Um I, there's been some more developments that we'll talk about after this, but uh we have a clip from the sheriff's department. Can you play that for us, please, sir? Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Scamby County Sheriff David Morgan. Uh, at approximately 6.51 this morning, uh, the call went out uh, to the Escambia County Sheriff's Office Central Dispatch that uh, there was an active shooter on uh, Naval Air Station Pensacola. Uh, we had two units uh, immediately respond, you know, many to come behind, of course. Uh, while we would love to do a full disclosure with you this morning about everything that we are aware of, quite obviously we cannot do that. There are things that we are now in the investigative process uh, that are required to be held back by not just the Escambia County Sheriff's Office, but our lead federal agencies, which, of course, are the FBI and the ATF and the associated federal partners that we have, and the U.S. Attorney's Office is also present. Uh, as the mayor said, I want to assure our community that the, the threat has been negated. Uh, our community is secure at this time. Uh, we have no reason to believe uh, or are we looking for any additional shooters within Escambia County, not just within the parameters of NAS Pensacola. I would tell you uh, this strikes home particularly hard for me as a retired military member. Uh, walking through the crime scene was like being on the set of a movie. Uh, and as the mayor eloquently put, you just don't expect this to happen at home. Uh, this doesn't happen in Escambia County. It doesn't happen in Pensacola. It doesn't happen to uh, our friends and neighbors who are members of the United States Navy, but it did, and it has. And so for now, we're here to pick up the pieces. We have two officers at the Escambia County Sheriff's Office in the initial response uh, that negated the threat that are now uh, in a local hospital. Uh, we expect them to fully recover. Uh, it was a member of the Escambia County Sheriff's Office that did negate the threat. I will share that with you. It was one of our officers that did that. Uh, as uh, the captain said, we have uh, today, or excuse me, as of right now, we do have four deceased uh, and approximately eight total. That includes the ones that have deceased, by the way, that are, that are injured. Uh, the crime scene processing continues under the auspices of the FBI and the uh, ATF. Uh, we are lending all local assistance that we have to this effort, uh, everything from command buses to, you know, crime scene uh, techs if they are so needed. No, I got it. All right, so we're back. Um, Rains, you've been watching the yep. news all morning. Now we know that uh, that this guy was a Saudi national over here training. Uh, they, according to the base commander, they have what's known as an international training syllabus where they cross train. Uh, with our allies and right now there are about 200 of the international students so to speak on base now 
NAS Pensacola is right on the water. It is the home of the Blue Angels, which is the precision naval uh, Navy's precision flying uh, team. It has sixteen thousand military personnel and seventy four hundred civilian personnel. Um, the information that right. we have now is that um, that there are four dead and times two wounded. Is that what is that what you understood? To be That's the correct. That's the up to date information. Yeah. Um, anything I might have left out that you that you've gleaned from the reporting so far? Uh, no, it's um, because of these recent attacks in London and Holland. Um, you know, the media is going to jump on the fact that this person was uh, a Saudi Arabian national. Uh, one thing that they won't tell you is that the majority of these uh, students that we get from the uh, international training agreement, uh, especially from Saudi Arabia, most of them are going to be members of the Saudi royal family by some way, shape, or form. The, the Saudi royal family is is uh, absolutely... It, it, they permeate every level of the military in Saudi Arabia. And if you're a, a nephew or a niece or somebody that's got any kind of title and you join the service, they're going to send you here to train. Uh, we've trained thousands of personnel of the Saudi Arabian military over the years. And from what I'm understanding, this is the first incident of something like this happening. Uh, NAS Pensacola is an extensive training facility for the U.S. Navy and for the U.S. Department of Defense. And it's one of the stepping stones of what's called the National War College. Uh, that's where our allies really want their people to train is at the National War College. And to get there, you've got to go through either advanced flight training or advanced tactical training or something like that in one of these smaller bases like NAS Pensacola or uh, Fort Benning or Fort Ord, something like that, you go, or Keesler Air Force Base. You've got to go through one of those major things to get to the National War College to qualify for it. Now, this is the first incident of a Saudi national committing anything other than a car wreck on a U.S. military base in the United States, I'm not going to immediately jump on the terrorism bandwagon for that just because he's a Saudi national. I'm just not because there are so many other things it could be. It would be convenient if it was terrorist-related, but uh, everybody knows that if you're a Saudi national and you're terrorist-related, you get your military training at private schools in Florida. Not at uh, NAS Pensacola. So training with, the FBI, a, uh, training with the FBI at the yeah, flight yeah. school. Learning you to your, you fly, your, you your, not land 747s, just fly those things. Right, just kind of fly them. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to jump on the terrorism bandwagon just yet. I haven't seen enough information. I know that's what everybody wants it to be because that's a really convenient, uh, a convenient envelope to stuff this particular shooting in. Um, to me, Honestly, it's just another school shooting at this point. Well, so I, I went to uh, graduate school at uh, Troy State, and one of the campuses, so before, <laughs> it wasn't before the internet. It was before internet education, okay? So um, right. uh, uh, Homeport, Pascagoula, um, many, many of the larger naval bases around the world had Troy State university system uh classes available for for people in the navy so anyway i got to go over there and take some of my graduate level classes at nas pensacola saved me a long drive up to montgomery 
uh, or Troy and, and in the Montgomery area. So I used to drive a Jeep, take the top down, have the doors off. I had a shotgun rack in the back. You should drive on base with it. No problem. Nobody ever said anything to me. And then damn September 11th happened. No dice, man. There's, you know, there, there've been 50 cows set up at all oh, yeah. the entrances uh, <laughs> yeah. since, since that day. So, um, so, so number one, you can't have a personal weapon on the base at all. Right. And that your understanding. Correct. If you're the, that is correct, I mean, yes. Patton would have to take his six shooters off. Right. I mean, That's right. They're, right. They're and not, all, all U.S. military facilities. Yeah. Right. So Mm-mm. where the hell did this gun come yeah. from? I don't know. I, I asked the same question. That's why I said to me, this is just another school shooting. And it's going to come down to where this guy got a weapon from. It's going to come down to why did he have it? What set it off? Uh, what was his motive for any of this stuff? One of the biggest conception, misconceptions about the military is that everybody walks around with their, with their weapon on base. They don't. No, no. Uh, a few years ago, out, out in the West Texas, we had a... Fort Hood. Out West, we had a... At Fort Hood, we had the shooting with that that major, you know, shot up a button, you know, committed himself to an active shooter with two handguns. With two handguns, right? And everybody thought, well, you know, it's a military base. Where's everybody with the guns? Well, the police have guns on the military base. That's it. And the people that stay in guard duty do, but they're not in the classrooms. Uh, You know, you the military base aren't these giant armed camps. Weapons are under lock and key, and uh, you can't just. Hey, let me go get my rifle and stop this mass shooting incident. Right. It's let me let, not me let me run over the to cars. the army, uh, the armory, and fill out seven requisition forms so I can get the components to put it together to have a firearm. I think that's how that works. Right. And the, no, that's not at all how, how how that works. It's not. You you don't even have eligibility to do that. If, if in an active shooter scenario, the military trains even the armorer says, you know, lock your door. Don't let anybody in because there's police on base that are going to take care of something like oh, that. Yeah, That's what they're you. for. There is a there is a base security force, and they are available should there be some large level incursion. But that's a that's a whole other thing. They aren't there to do. That's why they have police forces, and a lot of these police forces are are, are they're, they're they're military police, but they're 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 plain clothes. They're in uniform. They're all over the place. They're real police forces. Believe me. I've had plenty of tie-ins with the police force at Fort Rucker and Keithley Air Force Base. I'm well, I don't well accounted with those guys. <laughs> but uh, they, you don't just get a gun and walk around. It's it's it would be you would get reported. This guy had to have been concealing it for some reason, and because you couldn't just walk in with it stuffed in the back of your uniform and nobody notice it. Um, and, and people are paying like attention. Said, Governor <laughs> Governor DeSantis is at NAS Pensacola. He was a naval. Uh, he was a JAG officer, and um, right. I, you know, I, I I think they've got things well in hand over there. It's just been a bad week for the Navy. This two two days in a row. Yeah. Right? Yep. They had a guy at uh, a guy over at Pearl uh, at Pearl Harbor. At the uh, at the leeward base there at Pearl Harbor, at the dry dock facility at the at the Honolulu Naval Yard, and uh, my first phone call was a friend of mine that works over there at that Kaneohe Bay uh, Marine Station, and said, "Hey, is it is is it going on?" I said, "Oh yeah, we're fine. We're on the windward side of the island. We're nowhere near that." But uh, that was just a guy was was mad about something and shot his boss. So 
I mean, shit happens even in the military. He believe there, me, right? Right. right. <laughs> exactly. Um. All right. So let's talk about. And I'm. I, I really don't know where you stand on the Second Amendment. I'm. A, I'm an absolutist. Uh, second Second Amendment. Uh, I, I think we've. I think we've run all over it already. I am a. Uh, I am a libertarian. And by right, I support the Constitution. And so by right, I am in favor of the Second Amendment. But I am in favor of the Second Amendment as it is written. All right. So Just me, like I'm in favor of the First Amendment as it is written. Okay, let me let me ask you this. If you're Bill so if you're Bill Gates and you can afford a Tomahawk cruise missile and you can buy it directly from uh Northrop Grumman or whoever builds the damn things. Should you be able to possess one? If you're a private All right, citizen. now that's the, that's the absolute diametricy. Let's dial that back a little bit and say if you're Bill Gates and you want to buy uh, an M249 saw fully automatic, should you be able to possess one? That's the literal argument. Because you can't buy rockets and missiles and shit like that, period. But if you possess what's called a... Uh, what's called a, a class three destructive devices permit, you can buy hand grenades from the U.S. government and possess them. You can buy 40 millimeter grenades for a launcher and possess them. Maybe you need one, but if, that's a very tough permit to get, and a very small percentage of Americans actually have those permits. And they're mainly collectors of antique firearms and museum curators and things like that who have, to, you know, who have tanks, for crying out loud. So, you know, as the law states, there's nothing in the Second Amendment that says you can or can't own a bomb. It comes down to common sense legislation, which we happen to be lacking in this country. Uh, I, as I said before, I'm a staunch protector of the Second Amendment, but I'm also in favor of something that I, not a lot of people that are in favor of the Second Amendment are. And I'm, I believe there ought to be common sense laws, not even laws, but eligibility in court where you can seek civil damages against people who sell guns if those guns are used to commit a crime. Yeah, you never... Now, you say that'll never happen, but let me tell you something. I am a bartender by trade. Do you realize that there is current legislation in place in 47 states that holds me under that exact same law? You talking about the dram shop laws? It's dram shop law. I am absolutely civilly and criminally liable for selling someone an intoxicating substance should they happen to hurt someone under the influence of it. And those, you as a lawyer are going to sit there and tell me that the courts would strike down any kind of law that would make a gun seller eligible for the same thing? Yes. They'll never get, they'll never get through the door. There's an intervening act. You just, because you, you know, you could, you, I could buy a gun and use it for a paperweight for the next thousand years. It could be the steel family paperweight and be passed down for generations. I would have to do something with that thing for, for a lawsuit to come about or to be necessitated. So no, I think you got a, I'm going to say bullshit argument. That's <laughs> a bullshit argument. All right, well, then somebody needs to take up my cause. Somebody takes me to take up my cause to get rid of dram shop law for bartenders and liquor retailers across this country. Because if I sell somebody a beer 
and they get in their car and go kill a family of five. They're not coming after the person with the, that drove the car. They're coming after me and the company that I have or the bar that I own. That's the law, and it happens every day here in Texas. I don't disagree with you. Let me ask you this. Have you ever bought a gun at a, at a uh, what do they call it, gun show? Yeah, oh, absolutely. From, from, and, it, and it's always like from some guy you wouldn't take a stick of gum from. You know what I mean? He just looks like. Oh, of course. Go, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, I've never bought a gun at a uh, at a at a gun show. I've been to a lot of gun shows, and I bought a lot, you know, magazines and ammo and stuff like that. But um, I don't want a damn gun somebody's using as a boat paddle. I will use my own gun as a boat paddle, but I don't want a gun that someone else has used as a boat paddle. You know what I mean? Sure. It's uh mine's a reliability issue. I, I'm not going to buy a gun from some homeless looking dude in a, in a, you know, ratty ass sweater that looks like Willie Nelson and that let my life depend on that thing functioning. That's just not, it's never going to happen. Well, I could I could get my head around that, and that's a very responsible stance to take as a person who uh, owns firearms. But I, that's absolutely completely sensible. People can laugh about it all they want, but I'm completely on board with that. But the, I don't care about anything regarding the sale or whatnot of firearms in this country. It's never going to go away. Do we have a gun problem in this country? Yes. Absolutely. We have a huge gun problem in this country, and it is a festering, infected, necrotized boil on the ass of America. And it is never, ever going to go away, simply because there are too many guns in this country for it to go away. So how it's about almost this? like... How about how about my perspective that your personal safety is your personal responsibility? And the police are there to come draw a little chalk line around your ass after somebody's done you in, and then they'll look into it to the best of their ability to try to bring the person to justice. In the meantime, you could have protected yourself or put your or kept yourself out of a situation where you wouldn't be in a position to be shot dead in the parking lot of some bar in downtown Mobile at 3 in the morning. You see what I'm saying? Well... There's some personal responsibility that plays into all this. And the idea that the police are there to protect and serve and you're going to pick up the phone and call 911 and somebody's going to be in your driveway in 30 seconds is foolish. Well, that to me is just a, that, that type of thinking, Harry, and I'm not in any way taking away from your own personal belief of it, but that to me speaks more to the mentality of people that want guns. I am in Texas. I am surrounded by the most well-armed citizenry anywhere in North or South America. And I'm here to tell you, I have absolutely zero confidence in any of these people doing anything right with guns. That's why I don't own any. Well, people my father said, well, what is, what's what you... Dude, there's what, people that my father likes to tell me all the time. I mean, it's... Well, sure there are. And, and I'm... I'm not taking away from that. I'm saying my, my one of the things my father asked me, he goes, well, what are you going to do if you ever need an AR-15? I said, well, you know, to, to quote a great movie, you know, if there's ever a time that I need a goddamn AR-15, I'm pretty sure there'll be plenty of them laying around my neighborhood to pick up. Ask the Koreans because there's no... who, who, who defended their property during the uh, L.A. riots. 
back in the nineties. It's only re- sure, and everybody needs a good. Everybody needs a good roof Korean, and that's great. You know, I'm not going to go on a nationally syndicated podcast like we're on and talk about how many guns I own. So, no, you don't know if I have any guns or not. But the point is, there's people around my neighborhood that walk around with them in their yard for crying out loud to where if I need one, I know where to get one. Right. And And I just, Harry, I lived through Katrina. And one of the things I learned from being in Biloxi, Mississippi during Katrina is that everybody that didn't get to shoot at a looter is just waiting for the next hurricane so they can get another chance at it. And people want guns, people need guns because of this sick, ridiculous, mystified notion that these things are going to protect you from, from all things. I've seen women walk into my bar with a gun in their purse and drink 12 margaritas. What the hell are you going to do with a gun in your purse after something like that? You know, it, it, it's, it's so ridiculous to me. It's just, it's just this, most gun owners have this ridiculous fantasy that they want a school shooting shooting to happen so they can stop it. No, no, no. And, and, and this is what I try to, That's explain. ridiculous. this is what I try to explain to everybody. Never think of a firearm as a problem solver. When you pull that trigger, your trouble's just begun. Whether you hit anybody or not, right? I mean, from a legal perspective, you lose around in somebody's general direction. Your your troubles have just started. Now, if you did it to protect yourself or someone else, that that that's a little that's a little different deal. But maybe you're wading into a situation that you don't fully understand. Like you know, we had a a, a young man shot dead at the Galleria. Turns out he wasn't the shooter, but he he had a firearm and he was running and he got shot dead by a police officer. About exactly. Three. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I understand that. I'm a I'm a disciple of a guy that you may or may not be familiar with. He's an attorney in California named Masad Ayub, and that man has defended more gun cases. I think he's dead now, but he uh, of natural causes. But uh, he uh, he defended and has written countless political treatments on uh, gun use defense and how to defend people in court that used firearms, be they police officers, civilians, or military, whatever. And one of the first things he teaches is that a weapon, you're right, a gun is not a problem solver, and you definitely don't pull a gun to solve anything but your problem, Period. You don't pull a weapon and say, I'm going to solve somebody else's problems because now you're, oh, excuse me, now you're a criminal. Indeed. And that was his assertion of that. He goes, you, you know, the cops can't tell if you're a person who just wants to help or you're just another jerk with a gun. Right. And that's one of the first, that's in his top five things. Don't ever pull a weapon to solve a problem that's not yours because then you're just a criminal and you start out as a criminal to speak to what you just said. Right. Your your hard time pulling the trigger was the easiest thing you did. You're about to have to go to court and defend your action. And I've lived and died by the things that he said. Every handgun I've ever owned for personal defense that I kept on my person when I carried a permit or in my home was of the same caliber and model that the local police carried. That was one of his first things he'd tell you. He said, find out what the cops carry, carry that. It's easier to defend in court. It looks better in front of the jury if your attorney can say this is the same weapon the cops carry. Glock 17? Uh, no, I don't have Glock 17. I don't own. Oh, yeah, you <clears throat> okay. Don't. I, and not, 
currently in possession of any handguns. So uh, I have a gun trust. So all my guns are owned by eight other guys, and we have a, a class. I guess it's a class three stamp for a suppress for a little twenty two. And and so here's how it works. If if I bought if I had a suppressor and paid for a tax stamp. No, anyone else who ever took that gun with that suppressor on it and fired it has violated the law. So you, mm-hmm. you you create a gun trust and you get everybody in it, and everybody in it can be in possession of that suppressor. And we we got it for playing and you know teaching kids how to shoot without having to wear hearing protection and that kind of thing. Um. All right. So let's talk about what's going on with Baldwin County Sewer Service. Just a quick update. Um, Richard Dayton, who has been on the program with us before, met with a group of concerned citizens and the Public Service Commission. The Public Service Commission is still of the opinion that the legislature must act before the P- before the PSC uh, can regulate Baldwin County Sewer Service um, in particular. Uh, my position, as I've discussed in Episode 4, is that once they started, they, once they ceased their uh, surface discharge of their effluent and started putting it into the ground, that would have been the catalyst for uh, the PSC coming in and regulating them. Unfortunately, the PSC does not agree. They say we have a local constitutional amendment. Even though the constitutional amendment has no regulation inside of it, it's just a constitutional amendment enabling the legislature to regulate sewer or private utilities in Baldwin County. Sounds to me like this was orchestrated by someone who knew the system. What do you think? Oh, I mean, do absolutely. You think this uh, is some happy yeah. accident that Baldwin County Sewer Service is in a position where the PSC can't do anything because there's a constitutional amendment, but the constitutional amendment has no provisions in it to regulate them in any way whatsoever. Absolutely, it's well laid out. It's like I've said before a couple of podcasts ago. If you want to, you want to get, you know, you want to make the big bucks. Forget about trying to do a new app startup. Just incorporate a small utility somewhere and get it going in Alabama because it's a libertarian paradise when it comes to municipal utility services. You can just do whatever the hell you want. And uh, yeah, absolutely. It was it was it orchestrated, sure, because people, you know, the guys that wear the ties on that side of the aisle, they're the ones that. Uh, they're the ones that formulate these sorts of strategies and they've got it laid out and they can do whatever the heck they want without any sort of public elected oversight. So Mr. Dayton and his group are meeting with legislators individually to straw poll and see if they can even get enough people together to agree to sponsor a bill. I think, uh, uh Macmillan's on board. I don't know that Elliot has chimed in. Um, anyway, this thing's a problem, and it's a time bomb, and you've got an absentee landlord on this thing, and I don't see why we're I don't see why we're playing around with this guy. I don't I don't see why we're not uh, while while the county commission uh, doesn't put a moratorium on it until the PSC gets down here and starts regulating. That that would uh, be music to my ears. And another thing that you're going to see is, of course, Baldwin County Sewer Service and whoever they're giving PAC money to has certainly funneled money to all of these legislators. And this is what we call a friction fire, where that money from the contributors gets to rubbing up against what your uh, constituents wants, and it's burned a many a damn legislator to the ground. So we'll, we'll see how well, it Well, it's an awfully comfy fire to sit by for some legislators. For some legislators. 
Right. That's a very comfy campfire to sit by. And they're going to keep doing it as long as the money keeps coming in until somebody like your county commission steps up and says, all right, look, this is a major environmental impact and has the potential to be something we have to clean up 20 years down the road. Let's get ahead of it. But of course, that's not going to happen because people in Southern Alabama don't believe in climate change or anything like that. So it's uh, they're willing to dam up creeks, and just like they are here in Montgomery County, Texas, where they're willing to just fill in 260 acres of wetlands, put homes on it, because that means the tax base goes up. Uh, it's a, it's a short term grab, it's short term money that has long term consequences. But all we can do is just beg and plead for our elected leaders, hey, do us a favor and make sure that my kids' water isn't going to have a 12% uh, by volume, you know, fecal coli content to it at some point. Make sure the fish I catch in McCurtain's Creek 30 years from now aren't going to have three eyes, but that's an awful lot to ask of the Baldwin County Commission, you know. Well, it's not necessarily the commission. Let's let's be fair about that. There there were a lot of people that had uh, a lot to do with this. Or, or uh, I just don't believe the damn Mister Magoo story. Well, if we didn't have this, we'd be able to do it. But see, we have this, but this doesn't say any way that we have. It doesn't dictate any uh, regulation. You see, I mean, it's it's, it's the worst damn circular argument I've ever heard. Well, I, I, again, I know, yeah, we shouldn't beat up the county commission, but it's got to start somewhere. Somebody's got to say, somebody who got voted into office has got to say, all right, look, this is enough. Right. And it's got to start somewhere, so let it start with you. Hey, so let's let's talk about uh, having enough. The citizens of Gulf Shores are raising hell, son. They are tired of this burning man at the beach, is what I call it, the, the hangout festival. They just announced their headliner, uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which, of course, Dana California is in my top 50 favorite songs of all times. I mean, I'd love to go see the Chili Peppers. But uh, I don't necessarily want to be around a bunch of Burning Man uh, people on drugs, taking peeing in the parking lots, going on private property, breaking into people's cars, tearing up their crap. Um, I, I've got also this I've, one guy can make got, a pile of money. Well, I mean, that's how it goes. I mean, you know, God bless Ron Myers over in Mississippi. He, you know, Ron Myers productions put, put everything fun you ever went to as a kid together. And, uh, you throw something together like hangout. I mean, hell I get, I get hangout fest promotion stuff here in Texas. Uh, their, their bands are from all over the country and all over the world. And it's a big, Hauled the rod, and well, Gulf Shore succeeded in getting rid of those dang kids and their spring break beer drinking, and right. got it replaced by a, a a nice little capital shot in the arm for local businesses by this hangout fest. And now the citizenry says, "Uh, good grief, you know, we don't want this either." Well, where does it stop? They're gonna <clears throat> they're gonna just like what are they gonna host the national bocce tournament a couple of years from now, or are they gonna? Fight Hangout Fest. That to me, that's a new development that you said that there's pushback on Hangout Fest and that uh, the the permit is on hold. Tell me more about that. That's all I know is is what's been published. Um, the The public information officer for the city of Gulf Shores said that the, they have the application and they are considering it. I don't. I guess that means they won't put it on the agenda until they're good and damn ready to deal with it. And in the meantime, just like we had Greg Kennedy on on our show, uh, I want to say it was the 
fifth or sixth episode, um, he came on here and that was his opinion that they can't believe that the mayor and council would perpetuate this upon their own citizenry. Well, I mean, you got to make money somehow. And so a, a big festival like that is a great way to make a lot of money. I mean, if you own anything above a hot dog cart in Gulf Shores, you're going to make a fortune. We'll do it on the river in Marengo like County where nobody cares if there's a big mess. That's what I'm saying. Well, again, they're going to have to, they're going to have to, the people are going to have to go to their city council. They're going to have to go to their city manager and say, look, this is, we don't want this to happen. And we appreciate the sentiment, you know, thanks for offering all this money, but this is not something we want in our backyard. It's going to be incumbent on them to do that. And if they haven't done that in the past, well, shame on them because you get hangout fest out of it. Right. So get up, speak up call your local representative and say, look, I don't want this happening. I'm a citizen, a taxpayer. I don't want this happening and affect that change. Because if not, well, I'm looking forward to the next hangout fest. You know, maybe they'll have a good band headline. Next weekend, December 14th, Christmas fest here in North Baldwin. It's going to be back on the Christmas fest is going to be back around the square, around the courthouse square here in Baymanette. We finally have a power booth. We're working on logistics um, as far as internet connectivity goes, but we're planning on live streaming the parade. We're going to have some uh, information there for you if you want to stop by the booth. Hopefully, Paul will be upright if we have to put him on a, you know, bring the stretcher out with Paul on it and lean him up in the corner. Um, Anyway, T-shirts, huggers, Stop by and see us. I think you'll enjoy it. And so since Paul's not here, and I know you are well-read on many different issues, um, let's talk about this Epstein thing for a minute. So, oh, oh, yeah. Come on, let's talk about Epstein. That's a good one. So, well, I mean, let's let's go back. Let's hear your slant on it first. Okay, so my slant Uh on it is, August 10th, 2019, he commits suicide in a a federal facility in New York City where he is under suicide watch, which means they should have a camera on him and a camera on the hallway, and there are two people that should be looking at the cameras at all times and guards making rounds. So we're supposed to believe that it was a total breakdown, uh, just kind of like this sewer service thing. It's just a... It's just a series of happy coincidences that result in uh, this guy who knows who know who knows who knows what. Right? We have no idea what this guy mm-hmm. knows. But here's here's the thing that um, that people uh, dismiss, and I want to know what you think about it. Okay, so 2007 down in Florida, he gets uh, he gets a uh, sweetheart deal where he does 13 months spending the night in the jail, right? He's not in jail. He gets to leave during the day and do whatever. Um, the U.S. attorney for, uh, was it the C- Central District, the Middle District of Florida, uh, Alexander yeah. Acosta, who was later uh, interviewed and uh, confirmed as the Secretary of Labor in 2017, when when they were at questioning him about this sweetheart deal that he helped broker, 
He said it was his understanding that Epstein was part of the intelligence committee and that he was instructed to leave it alone. <laughs> so he's so he's made oh, millions yeah. even though he's never had a trade. He's a hedge fund manager who has no hedge fund. He lives in the largest private residence in New York City that belongs to somebody else. He's got some island down in the Caribbean where who knows what goes on. Um, my favorite one is in the 2000s, it sounds like a range Russian joke. Bill Clinton, Kevin Spacey, and Chris Tucker all get on a plane to go to <laughs> Africa to do an AIDS tour on Jeffrey Epstein's plane. Right? It sounds yeah. like a range joke. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like a great sure, setup. Sure. And then on top of that, uh, besides Clinton, old Trump, uh, yeah, I don't know how close he was to him. And he said he pulled it, he threw him out of Mar-a-Lago for trying to get some girl to touch his wang up in their uh, massage parlor or whatever. Rightly so. Um, and then uh, yeah. you know, Alan Dershowitz of uh, the Harvard professor who uh, helped spring uh, notorious guy who absolutely did not do it, O.J. Simpson, um, was Epstein's attorney. And uh, they're talking about uh, cracking attorney-client on, you know, it, I guess if they could prove that Dershowitz had some kind of criminal culpability. Um, I That's one of the very few things that I haven't liked about what's come out of the Trump presidency is the fact that they got to his attorney's correspondence and work product and and I now I understand that it was part of a, a special counsel investigation, so that makes it a little different. But um, anyway, I, I I got a feeling Dershowitz is not going to have to turn over much of anything, and I think this will fade from the public memory, even though it just happened a few months ago, and it's scary as hell to think that somebody could be murdered, for lack of a better word, in federal custody. And this didn't happen in like the yeah. middle of damn nowhere, New York, right? Right. Yeah. Well, a couple things. Uh, at the top of my response is, I'm glad that you feel like the only bad thing that's come out of the uh, the White House is cracking client privileges. I'm I'm a little more in tune than uh, just everything else that's come out of the White House, but. As far as that goes, I'm giving the unfettered, non-tinfoil hat personal opinion on this whole Jeffrey Epstein thing. He killed himself. First of all, he killed himself. And he did a frank tangibly and bit the bullet because this was a guy emotionally and mentally not sound. And, yeah, he probably fell on his sword just because he wants somebody said to whisper in his ear, all right, you know, this is what you need to do to take care of this. So I'm and going full that, black I can helicopter. Get my head I'm going full black helicopter and saying, are you sitting here telling me that MI6 doesn't have somebody that could have that that could have pulled this off? Oh, there's no doubt in my mind, and it doesn't even take somebody from an intelligence agency. You get somebody from a law firm to go in there as one of his attorneys and sit down across the table from him and say, look, this only ends one way. Now, the the guards who have since been indicted because they basically gun-decked their check logs 
and said, you know, they were sitting in there playing Xbox or whatever instead of checking on these prisoners like they were supposed to on the overnight. That speaks to the fact that this person was not observed. And could somebody have gotten in there? Sure. Could he have done it himself? Sure. My biggest debunk, because I enjoy the meme. I enjoy the, the humor aspect of it where people are sliding in the Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself thing on national TV and all that. That's all fine and good. The fact of the matter remains is that Jeffrey Epstein may have been the top of some kind of disgusting child prostitution ring, but he wasn't the only one in that pyramid. There were people that worked for him and they walk free to this day. They've not been arrested. They've not been indicted. There are people out there with as much knowledge of what happened as Jeffrey Epstein had, and they're not afraid to get in a cab. You know, uh, I, you know the, the, the Clinton Foundation is not out there systemically eliminating everybody associated with this case. You know, and to me, that just says if, if it was really that big of a deal, there'd be a lot more people in jail right now, or at least in federal custody, undergoing massive questioning as to how this all went down. So are you, um, are you aware that, not, that Gawker published his little black book or the Epstein address book? It's not little. It's hundreds of pages long, but it's got like politicians. Um, well, you could imagine the people in his book. Sure. Absolutely. I, I, I can agree. I'm in, I am count. I am a, uh, uh, resident in good standing of countless black books across this country. My name's going to appear in people's address books that you would never think. And my personal address book from back in the day when I kept one, it had names of all sorts of people in it. Hey, that doesn't dude, mean anything did you, know, did you know anybody in the Ashley Madison leak? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there, sure. There were a couple guys here in Baldwin County. I'm sure they're sweating their balls off hoping I don't say their names right now. But no, we're not going to say your names because that was just an unfortunate thing that happened. Yeah, I, I, knew, I knew a lot the of privacy. Your own marriage is your business. And if it becomes somebody else's business, remember I do divorces. My, uh, my favorite part of that particular scandal is uh, when it was found out that there were more women named Ashley Madison in the United States than there were actual women on the actual website. <laughs> right. They're all dating the same three women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna get me hung up in anybody's black book, man. It, it is what it is. You know, this whole Epstein thing is a great sideshow and it makes for good jokes and good humor. It's a it's a horrible, horrible, disgusting thing that exists at so many levels of so many things. And you want to make a big foil hat conspiracy theory that, oh, he couldn't have killed himself and somebody James Bond their way into his cell and often more power to you guys. I, I regularly have coffee with a guy who firmly believes we faked the moon landing. So it takes, uh, it takes all sorts of uh, shafts and gears to run this giant silly machine of ours. Well, look, we got, uh, more audio visual equipment than they had than NBC had in 1962 or 69. Um, I don't know how the hell they faked it with this stuff. Cause we're doing the best we can. Um, all right, Reigns, what else you got? You got something else for me? I think it's been pretty quiet over here in Texas, man. We're, uh, we're suffering through a holiday season, trying to uh, blame the local developer for flooding us twice back in the late summer. And uh, that's that's chugging along as it needs to go. We're voting in a runoff for our uh, our own Donald Trump versus the incumbent 
here is the mayor of Houston, Tony Busby, a local um, mass torts attorney, has uh, spent probably about $10 million of his own money to try to beat the incumbent crooked mayor of this town. And he's come as close as anybody to it. We have our special uh, runoff election next week. Uh, I don't think he's got a snowball's chance of, of beating the current elector, but uh, it's it's been an interesting race to watch. If you want to see somebody funny and looks good in front of a camera, look up Tony Busby for mayor of Houston. This is the uh, this is the same attorney who is, is running on the he's running as a Republican candidate, but uh, last year he was a Democrat in good standing. So that's been interesting. He also bought a uh, Sherman tank to park at the end of the cul-de-sac and he lives in in River Oaks to protest the homeowner's covenant about not having cars on the street. Uh, this, this guy's a piece of work. You ought, to, uh, you ought to look him up and give him, a, give him a glance on the interwebs if you have the time. But other than that, it's been fairly quiet out here in good old Houston, Texas. Dude, I've been reading. I've read all the law in Alabama on uh, homeowners association in the last two weeks and I don't want to talk about that mess anymore. So a couple of resources that we have for you, um, we didn't go over them in the podcast in detail, but the Madison County Mental Health Court Protocols, um, I got those emailed to me today, and we're going to throw those up on Facebook. The other thing that you might be interested in, if you run afoul of the law in the state of Alabama, um, I've got a little criminal list cheat sheet that has the code sections that correspond to the different – uh, infractions of the law, whether it's a felony or a misdemeanor, the sentencing guidelines, the general bail provisions, uh, as I'm aware of. And uh, so anyway, little cheat sheet, three pages um, might be helpful to you at some point in, in the future. And one of the things that we're going to try to do uh, while Paul is out with his shoulder is I'm going to do some nuts and bolts, um, how to file for a protection from abuse order. Um, and we're going to try to figure out some way to do a screen recording of my uh, computer desktop so that so that we can uh, sh- show you that step-by-step. Step. Um, anyway, that's what we're working on. Uh, I guess the next time you see us, we'll be sitting on the square December 14th. Um, Reigns, I have a surprise for you. Um, Uh-oh. The, the Black Friday fairy came, and uh, I have your... Uh, laptop here that we're going to be mailing out to you so oh, this boy. should be the last time yeah so you got to like take off the wife beater with the big mustard stain and you know but uh you know it's you can't be wife beater boxer shorts and flip-flops anymore when you're on the podcast gonna to have to church it up a little bit like well I i've been i planned on writing that off as a, as a uniform tax deduction at the uh for my taxes next year is my 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 podcast uniform that I wear, podcast. you know, and the, <laughs> but I guess I'll get on cam for y'all. Just uh, please keep in mind that uh, the Google Chromebook adds 70 pounds. It does. It, it, uh, films does it. Well, I must have seven Google Chromebooks on me then. <laughs> All right, partner. Well, we certainly appreciate you participating and um, we will see you next time. As Everybody always. have a good thought for uh, Paul, who is recovering from shoulder surgery today. So uh, we'll we'll keep you posted on Paul, and we'll see you on the 14th from the Courthouse Square here in Baymanette, Alabama. Y'all have a good one.